Tonight, we end our three-part studies of the Minor prophet, Prophets, and in doing so, we pretty much wrap up the Old Testament because it's the last book of the Old Testament. Stay with us as we examine the prophecies of Malachi. Welcome to our Bible study. On behalf of our senior pastor, the Reverend Paul G. Kiggins and the Master's House, we're super excited about this final study of the Minor Prophets, and we'd like to welcome our special guest host, our Youth Director, Corey. Super glad to have him, always to have him here with us. But uh, before we get into this Bible study, we want to go before the Lord in prayer, asking God, Lord, would you minister to my heart through this study that your word would come alive inside of me? And just if you have a special prayer request, please send those requests to prayer at mastershouse.org. And we'll certainly take your needs before the Lord and believe with you that God will move in your life. So, Corey, if you would take us before the Lord at, at this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Master Lord, for the, the time that you've set aside this time, Lord, that we would come together, Lord, that we would delve into your word, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would go before, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, that you would or till that soil, Lord, that we might receive this word, that it would take root in our heart, Lord, and that we would we would take your truths, Lord, and that we would take them fully to heart, and that we would take them into our lives, Lord. And for these prayer requests, Lord, pray that you would hear these things, Lord, and that you would just be with us, Lord, in this study tonight with your people. In your most precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So we hope you've enjoyed these studies that we've been doing with the Minor Prophets. There's a lot of things in these books and in these prophecies. We've, we've probably just scratched the surface in our general overview of each one of these uh, prophets. But tonight we're going to get into Malachi. So let's, let's just get right into it. Malachi 1 and 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So this prophecy is not directed towards anybody else but the children of Israel. And there's actually no information provided as to who Malachi was. Uh, his name means my messenger. And some have suggested that the author was an unnamed individual based on the meaning of that name. Uh, but most scholars do believe that Malachi was the name of the prophet as well as the author of the book. And that's what we believe as well. So the purpose of this prophecy was to bring the hearers of the prophecy to repentance so that they could have hope in God's mercy. It also serves to remind uh, God's people that he loves them, that we all need to be, or they all needed to be obedient to God's law, which we need to be obedient to God's law today also, but also giving them a warning of coming judgment and providing a promise of a coming messenger that was going to usher in a new age of righteousness. And it's believed that the prophecy was given sometime after the temple was rebuilt, uh, it, it, because it does speak to the priesthood as well as the sacrifices. Um, and if we look at our timeline, uh, it could have been after Haggai and Zechariah, um, but it also possibly could have been before Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, the prophecy does cover some of the same issues as Ezra and Nehemiah, but there is no mention of them. So the book of Malachi can pretty much be split into like six separate arguments or debates that would be between Malachi uh, representing God and the children of Israel. And then basically the children of Israel you know, respond by asking a question like, how have we done this? As uh, God brings his complaint to them, and then they would ask this question, and then God responds with an explanation pointing out the things that they had done. So, as you mentioned, at this time, the, the temple has been rebuilt. Uh, the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah have already been 
uh, had, they have already prophesied, but what they have prophesied had not been fulfilled yet. Um, the thing that's important for us to realize is that God always loves Jacob, mm-hmm. and God always loves his descendants. And so at the time, there was this prevailing attitude uh, that uh, God doesn't love us. God doesn't love us because those things that were prophesied hasn't come to pass. We don't have our own kingdom yet. They're, they're very poor because there's this heavy taxation because they're still living under uh, the authority of the Persian Empire. And so their focus becomes more on these physical things uh, that they begin to think, well, God, God doesn't love us. God ha- has abandoned us. So why should we serve the Lord? What purpose does it serve? But then very much to the contrary, God replies in Malachi 1-2, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. So God points to the destruction of Edom in comparison to their current situation, and which had been prophesied by Obadiah and others whom we've covered in previous studies. And then Esau, of course, had become the nation of Edom. So the prophecy... And we know the background. Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Uh, Esau was the firstborn. He was supposed to receive the birthright, but due to his character and uh, the way he represented himself, he despised the things of the Lord. Jacob loved the Lord and the things of the Lord, and so his character reflected that. So what he was saying, uh, what God was saying here also in this prophecy is, is even if Edom begins to rebuild. I'm going to tear down everything that they try and rebuild, and you're going to see it. And in Malachi 1 and 5, he says, Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. So seeing this, Israel will be able to know that God is in control outside of their own border, if you will, and that he has a special love for them when, he sees, when they were able to see this. And it doesn't matter where they're at, because you've you got to remember... They're not in the nation of Israel. They're in the Persian Empire and dispersed. And, but this, this particular prophecy is directed at those that are around the temple in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. So uh, the thing that's very interesting that I, I want to take away here, and I'm going to take a little time out from our, from our uh, study here, is this is a really important. Because this is kind of a, a tactic of the enemy, and that is to convince us that God doesn't love us. And God doesn't love us because of this situation, because these things aren't working out the way we think they should, because I'm having some financial difficulties, I, I'm sick, uh, you know, just name it. I'm, I'm suffering, I'm, and I'm having all of these troubles. And that's what the devil likes to try and do, is persuade us, see, if God really loves you, this wouldn't happen. And that's not true, as you pointed out. God does love us, and we need to not submit to that lie that the adversary throws out there. We need to focus on, no, God really does love me. Just because these circumstances are making me take my eyes off of him and not pay attention to him doesn't mean that he doesn't still have his love for me. And, and we're going to see that reflected in this entire prophecy of Malachi that God is saying, hey, look, I... I still love you, I'm still going to provide for you, and I'm still going to make a way from you, even though everybody is kind of thinking that, no, God, you don't love me. And, and that's, we could fall into that trap. We're, we're not ignorant to the devices of the enemy today. Know this, 
Jesus loves you. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what the circumstance is in your life. I, I'm sure, I believe that you're struggling. I believe it's, it's difficult. But Jesus loves you and he cares about you. God loves you and cares about you. And don't forget that point. Hold on to that. Took us on a little... Amen. It was a... Little I, moment there. I think it was worth it. Um, I don't have a good segue. So back into Malachi. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. No, it was, it was, I think it was a wonderful point that needed to be made. And, and even if you've heard that point before, it's, it's so needed to be reminded every now and then. Um, but yes, uh, back into Malachi. Um, starting at verse 6, God actually draws the attention um, back to the fact that not only is it the people that aren't honoring him, but the priests aren't as well. And so Malachi 1, 6 and 7 says... A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. So kind of like what you said previously, the, the children of Israel are like, well, how did we do that? That's what is being brought out here. And the Lord's saying that there is no being, there's no honor being shown to him. And in addition, the offerings that were being presented at the altar were not right according to the law. And in doing so, they are showing a lack of care for the Lord and his altar for the things of the Lord. While at the same time, they're like, they're, 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 pretending to kind of be blameless. Well, what do you mean we did that? Well, you did that and that you did it. And it really points to this overall issue that is being shown uh, by the children of Israel at this time towards God, towards their offerings, towards these things, thinking that, God, you've abandoned us. Why should we care? Why should we worry about these things? In Malachi 1.13, it says, Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. And you have snuffed at it. I mean, that pretty much... This is, that pretty much snuffed. lays it out there. Yeah. Saith the Lord of hosts, you brought that which was torn, the lame, the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. So instead of showing this respect and this honor and providing uh, their best, their actually giving their worst, yet acting like, well, this is, this is all I got. This is the best I, I can come up with. And this is the lie that is there. And God's basically saying you're cursed for it. And because of this lie, it just reflects that attitude of them not caring and them not taking the time to honor uh, God. And basically it's, it's apathy that has uh, set in and complacency. And that apathy and that complacency, God, then goes on to really call out the, the priests for having that same sense uh, in chapter 2. Uh, verse 1 says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. So, to be cursed, it really shows that how much importance the Lord puts upon this and uh, because they didn't take the thing to heart and giving glory to their God with their whole heart. But because they haven't taken it, it's, it's not just, it's that attitude that is now being reflected in their duties as well. And uh, 
further down in verse 9, Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my waves, but have been partial in the law. So in this sort of half-hearted nature in which they're serving, they are also not fulfilling the law to its entirety. So they, they, they're offering praises and they're, they're, they're giving these, these poor offerings. And you start to see too, especially when it comes to now they're, they're not doing one of their primary jobs, which is to fulfill and hold up the law. And that is why they've been cursed. And there were several points of the law that, that they have forsaken. Uh, there's even the, a point that God specifically gave them warning uh, back in Deuteronomy, uh, the seventh chapter, uh, beginning with the second verse. It says, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, that is, when they came up out of Egypt and they were going to conquer the promised land, thou sh the, the nations that were there, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter... Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, they, they serve, that they would serve other gods. So will my anger, of the, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. So there's this intermarrying uh, these other nations that he warned them about way back in Deuteronomy when it was delivering the law through Moses, that intermarrying is going to cause you to go into adultery and no longer serve and honor me. And perhaps the most like, apparent example of this would be Solomon, who married so many women. It was like 700 wives. That, that's a lot of wives. That's a lot of wives. <laughs> and um, Solomon, in, in loving them, he built them temples to their various gods. And ultimately, just as the verse said, they turned his heart away from the Lord. In Malachi 2.11, it says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. So it's not so much that it was bad that they were intermarrying, but it was those who were already married to Israelite wives they were divorcing them, and even if they had children, they were putting the children away so that they could marry other foreign wives, marry other foreigners. And this marriage of these, of these foreign nations was a, a violation of that covenant that they had, and God was going to hold them responsible because they had a responsibility to each other and to God. God even said, hey, look, I was a witness to that covenant that you made with your wife. I was a part of that covenant, and I've seen it, and I'm going to hold you responsible to that. And these mixed marriages would prevent them from raising godly children because then they have, would have a tendency to go after the wife's uh, belief system, and they would be brought up, in, brought up in idolatry. And this was so serious that God said, hey, you know what? I'm no longer going to accept your offerings because of it. And... Uh Ezra and Nehemiah, actually, they also dealt with this issue. Um, Nehemiah 13 23, it says, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And then skipping down to verse 26, 
Did not Solomon, king of Israel, send by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. And um, I think it's funny. Uh, Nehemiah came up with the same example we right. did. Um, but uh, and, and you can study more on that and, and find out a little bit more on that. But, uh, yeah, this is an issue that multiple uh, individuals had to address. And it, it's a serious issue that shouldn't be, you know, dismissed today. That should be addressed. You don't want to be unequally yoked. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a Bible study for another for another time. Yeah. In Malachi three, we start to see this glimmer of hope, and that's what's so wonderful about the God we serve. Amen. Is He's going to lay it out there, so you can see it, so you can understand it, and He's going to say judgment's coming. But before judgment, there's mercy, and then he provides the hope in order to receive that mercy. In Malachi 3, 1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way of the Lord, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And then that messenger is then further described uh, in verse 3 and 4, where it says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. So the one whom they will seek and will suddenly come into the temple... That's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, the messenger who comes before him to purify the priesthood and bring back the point of the offerings of the nation, well, who do you think that is? The, the, the big clue here, and as soon as I read it, uh, prepare the way before me. Isaiah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so Mark pretty well lays it out for us uh, in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. As it is written in the prophecies, behold, I send my messenger before thy faith, face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So John the Baptist, he is the messenger that is being referenced here. Right, and Isaiah is the one who... Mark is quoting. Yes. Uh, I, I should make that clarification yeah, since I, I said yeah, Isaiah. I was, gonna say, I was like, wait, I know what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I meant. I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so God reassures Israel uh, that he is the same, mm-hmm. right? He, in Malachi 3, 6, he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God is faithful. He is still upholding his love for Israel and his side of the covenant. The prophecy then begins to challenge the the children of Israel. They say, hey, I want you to return to me. And he says, and I will return unto you. And so, of course, the question response from them is, well, wherein shall we return to you? And in verses 8 and 9, it says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. So, again, we have this, what do you mean we did that? And they were not giving to God what was his. Everything belongs to God, and he provides everything to us. So tithes and offerings are a part of what he gives us and is expected to be given back for the care for his house and for the service of the ministry so that they can have a living. So uh, the thing that I find really interesting with this set of scriptures is God's not just asking 
one or two or four or five people, hey, I, I want you to bring your tithes and offerings into my house. He says, this whole nation, mm-hmm. I want you to bring uh, the tithes in. And, and obviously, at this time in history, Israel is not considered a, a nation by man's understanding, but God still, regardless though their physical presence is throughout the entire Persian Empire, he's saying, you're still my people. You're still my nation, and I want a whole nation to bring the ties, and that there might be meat in his house. So that's so wonderful that even though the civil authority is not somebody that's an Israelite, it's the Persians, uh, God still sees them as his own special nation and entity of people. And he loved them, and that's not going to stop just because they might be dispersed throughout this uh, Persian Empire and those that are in Jerusalem and, and the surrounding area. He says, I tell you what, so much so that if you do this, your crops will never fail. And I'm going to, they're going to always have an, you're always going to have an abundant crop. And he also says, I tell you what, go ahead and he challenges them. Yeah. Prove me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come it. and see. Come and see, right? <laughs> Prove me. And in Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I don't just open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough even for you to receive it. Mm-hmm. Try me out yeah. and see if I don't do it. Absolutely. And, and that's, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain it. God then goes on and he uh, talks about those that have continued to, to fear and honor the Lord throughout this time, despite the so many others not. Uh, and so verse 16, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So you remember, you brought this out in chapter 1, that God compares the people to children that refuse to, to honor their father. They, mm-hmm. they honor in their father, mm-hmm. but they're not honoring God, right? But he points out here, but there are those that, that love and show honor to him, and he will protect them, and he will care for them just as a father would his own children, and that he is just in saving those who show honor and respect to him. And uh, not only that, but then he also goes on and promises to continue to care for them moving forward. So... uh, chapter 4 verse 2 but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall and ye shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this saith the Lord of hosts so those that serve half-hearted and are looking for every corner that could possibly be cut these are the ones that are received curses. But those that have loved the Lord's commandments and shown him honor with their whole heart, they receive this blessing of a promised Savior who heals and delivers victory over the wicked. So this prophecy concludes with a plea for everybody to uh, remember the law and follow it. And, of course, you know, a repeating of the promise of another messenger. In Malachi 4, verse 4, it says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him at Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, the, the promise to send Elijah, as we already mentioned, John the Baptist was the promised messenger, and the coming of Elijah was also fulfilled with the coming of John the Baptist. Uh, as Jesus put in Matthew seventeen eleven. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. We also know that from previous Bible studies and everything that uh, the day of the Lord is associated with the, the second coming of Jesus. And this will certainly be a time of judgment and deliverance, uh, which this pretty much ends the book of Malachi, pretty much ends the the Old Testament, um, ends the prophets until four, after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist shows up, the promised messenger. But this, this entire prophetic word of Malachi was basically simply, it's a call for his people to serve him wholeheartedly, not in lip service, to keep his word, uphold their part of the covenant, God's upholding his part of the covenant. But since the children of Israel, ever since the covenant was given, couldn't obviously uphold their end, God loves them so much that he is going to provide a new covenant. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Hey, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them even to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now I'm getting a little, just feeling a little, a little Holy Ghost, <laughs> if you will, tonight. I'm just, God is so wonderful to us. And, you know, we dismiss some of these smaller books in the Bible. The old, the end, it's the end of the Old Testament and, and some of these minor prophets. But there's some wonderful things that can be discovered in the studying of these words. And what's so wonderful about, and I want to drill this point home, that Jesus loves us, that God loves us. What's so wonderful about this new covenant is that this new covenant even extended to the Gentiles and even extends in its fulfillment to us here today, sitting here on the stage, and to you out there that may be tuning in. We read this in John, the third chapter, in the 16th verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his, not, sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that he would forgive my iniquity, so that he would remember my sins no more. And that's the covenant of love that he sends forth to everybody who is in uh, 
participating in this Bible study, whether you're sitting right next where it's just Corey and I or you guys out there online, Jesus loves you. No man has greater love than he laid down his life. And he laid down his life for us because he loves us. It says we finished up our studies on the book of Romans that nothing can separate us from that love. The enemy wants us convinced that God doesn't love us anymore because then we'll start not caring about the things of the Lord. But we need to recognize that nothing separates that love from, from him, from us. He's, it, it doesn't matter what it may. I know you're struggling tonight. There may be a situation or a circumstance where you just might be at your wit's end. Just know this. Jesus loves you. God loves you. I don't have some special formula for you to pray and just say these words. You know what? All you have to do is just be genuine in your heart and your mind and say, Lord Jesus, I need help. I need to know that you love me. I need to know that you're there. Forgive me of my sins if there's, if there's sin or iniquity in my life. However you want to say it to the Lord, I guarantee you that He loves you so much that He will minister into your heart and mind tonight. Send us those prayer requests to prayer at mastershouse.org that you want us to ask God to minister and make Himself known in your life. See, the problem was with the children of Israel at this time, they were too focused on this physical situation that God had forsaken them. God never forsaken them. He even said His word, I do not change. I am here and I'm going to be there and God is here for you tonight and God is here for us tonight. You, Blessed Jesus. be the wonderful name of Jesus. I'm going to run out of time. I'm not here to preach a message but just know it's been stirring in my heart since we've been talking about Malachi that the very first thing that Malachi said from the Lord is I love you and we need to hold on to that that Jesus loves tonight. On behalf of our senior pastor, the Reverend Paul G. Kiggins, God bless you. Thank you for turning in. Appreciate Corey for being here with us tonight. Hopefully something has said that ministers to your heart. Just hold on to that. Jesus loves me. It doesn't matter what happens. Jesus, it's that simple, out of the mouths of babes, right? Out of the mouths of children. The children sing that song. Jesus loves me, and this I know for the Bible tells me so. It tells me so in Malachi 1, the second verse, that I have loved you. Hold on to these words. Bring them into your heart and mind tonight. We're going to ask that God would minister to you. Thank you again so much for your time. And man, what a great Bible study we've had uh, with these minor prophets looking, kicking off a new uh, series next uh, Tuesday. Uh, going to be looking into the epistle, the First Corinthians. So looking forward to this. God bless you. Thank you very much. Corey, would you ask God to minister into my life, Amen. minister into <laughs> these lives out there tonight, Amen. that we may know that he loves us and that he cares for us and he's going to provide for us regardless of what civil authority may be over us. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, we're just so thankful, Master. Lord, you've, you've spelled it out so clearly, Lord, in your word, Lord, that you love your people, Lord, regardless of, of distance and location, Lord, that, that your love remains, dear Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord, for, for this word, for this reminder, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that, that this truth, Lord, of your love, Lord, that, that knows no bounds, Lord, would, would sink deep in the hearts and minds of all those that hear this, Lord, that, that all those that have, have read these words, though, Lord, and that they would be reminded, oh, Lord, of your great love, Lord, and that they would, Lord, that they would reach out unto you, dear Jesus, and, Lord, that they would draw you close, Lord, that, that we might be consumed by that love, Lord, that only you can provide. And we're just so thankful, dear Jesus. Pray, Lord, for, Lord, all these, these prayer requests, Lord. Thou knowest, Lord. 
And in thy loving kindness and thy mercy and thy justness, Lord, we just entrust you with these things, O Lord. We pray, Lord, a special blessing, Jesus, for our shepherd, Lord, and his family, Lord, that you would touch them, bless them, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would be with all of your children, Lord, Lord, and that you would just have thy perfect will and thy way. In your most precious and holy and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Good night. Thank you.